house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. just needed a few slow nights, followed by a couple of days off. There's a double shooting, 41st and 8th. What happened to chest pain, difficulty breathing, fractured hands? Don't even slow down, just keep on moving. Nobody loves me, Chris. You have the power, Jesus, not to spare this worthless man. Rise up! Damn, you guys are good. I'm on my way out. Anytime now. Nobody gets fired, son. <laughs> Look at me. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that will promise to scatter your ashes along the Gulf coastline from the back of a convertible, so long as you agree that the rest of the moment will be all about us. Every we week love on, you, Rosie. We love you, Rosie. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my co-host, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am okay. I feel like I am, for this episode, we'll be trying not to be our own little sound drop of Monty Python doing the bring out you did. (laughs) Bring out you did. Bring out you did. Bring out you did. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh, I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. I don't want to go on the car. Oh, don't be such a baby. I can't take him. I feel fine. Well, do us a favour. I can't. Well, can you hang around a couple of minutes? He won't be long. No, I've got to go to Robinson's. They've lost nine today. Well, when's your next run? Thursday. I think I'll go for a walk. You're not fooling anyone, you know. Look, isn't there something you can do? I feel happy. I feel happy. Oh, thanks very much. Touch that whole Holy Grail bit. Apparently, like, that's wh- that's movie. where um, the title, like, was inspired by. Or at least, like, I was reading this interview with Scorsese where he's like, that's where the title came from, you know? And it was, like, what, like from the Monty Python sketch? And apparently, like, yes. Because um, it's based of all, on a novel. That was a great Marty Scorsese impersonation. Second of all, this movie is not not Monty Python. <laughs> right. No, it, and I say that as a compliment. I mean, I think if you're going to compliment the movie, which like I will somewhat, um, you I have think to, we're going to be on different tracks about this movie. You have to compliment on. the like Gonzo-ness of it all, right? Because it's just yes, it's off its it's off its rocker from basically the beginning, right? Absolutely. 
Before we get too far into things, we're going to be talking about Bringing Out the Dead, the 1999 film from director Martin Scorsese, written by Paul Schrader, adapted from the novel by Joe Connolly. The movie stars Nicolas Cage, Patricia Arquette, John Goodman, although in my notes here I see I wrote Godman, which as Chris pointed out to I me... I see no typo here. Yeah, that's it's the that's the way to do it. We love you. We love you, John Goodman. We love you, Gary, Rosie, and John Goodman. Those are the people we love right now. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Ving Rames also, Tom Sizemore, Mark Anthony, who it took me a minute to recognize, but once I did, I was like, of course. We gotta talk about Mark Anthony. I'd recognize that gaunt visage anywhere. <laughs> um, Cliff, it is draped in dreadlocks and blood in this movie, uh-huh. so like he isn't fully recognizable. Cliff Curtis, who I'm now realizing is like the movie star I've seen, the, I saw the most in the most movies before I ever knew what his name was, because like now that I know who he is, I see him in so many older movies that I had definitely seen before, and I was like, Cliff Curtis is a fucking boss. Cliff Curtis is an amazing actor. He's really good. Um, Mary Beth Hurt is also in this, who I absolutely wrote down her name as Mary Louise Wilson when I was writing out this little thing at first, and I was like, nope, wrong one. Um, it is Mary Beth Hurt. No, the one that I thought was Mary Louise Wilson is Phyllis Somerville. Oh, I will always know Phyllis Somerville. Phyllis Somerville, where if you need a puttering old lady to um, mourn someone in her family call phyllis somerville she <laughs> will phyllis. she will hook you up this movie premiered on october 22nd 1999 which means that if you are listening to this on the day we release it it is like literally one week removed from its 20th anniversary so oh wild i didn't yeah think of that when yeah we were planning it um which is kind of cool so especially if you like the movie which chris seems to have more than i did that's I fine liked a lot yeah okay it's that's interesting because i feel like we've it's been a while since we've had a movie that like truly divided us like i think sometimes like one of us will always like a thing or dislike a thing a little bit more than the other but i think we're maybe a little bit truly divided on this which is kind of cool i maybe lasted 30 seconds into this movie before i was like oh joe's gonna fucking (laughs) and i'm going to love at least i absolutely loved this at least you called that one correctly so that's good um well since you are the big lover of bring out the actually before we get to talking about that what let's i want to sort of place this episode in a little bit of like real world context here we are speaking yeah. to you from like the other side of the joker apocalypse where like the joker just or sorry joker i know that a lot of people are like stop putting the definite article in there fine i like to i like to you know make it a little fancy and call it joker joker the joker the joker movie Joaquin um, Phoenix opened. in Joker. Yeah, has opened to like massive box office numbers. Like so many people saw it, and yet like the Metacritic number has also like somewhat cratered its larger Oscar hopes, except for Joaquin Phoenix. Like, of course, this is all very early, but like that's where we're at at this moment in history. And also at this moment in history, um Martin Scorsese's The Irishman has premiered at New York Film Festival and was like a huge hit with the critics there. Like even like even given the usual Scorsese enthusiasm which is tends to sort of always be there. This feels like people are like a return to form, like blah blah blah, like you know commenting on his his older movies which like you'll, we'll get to that bringing out the dead too um whereas like bringing out the dead seems to be was very much a 
ode to the taxi driver era obviously the reaching with paul schrader is a thing and like that's a thing that people talked about in regards to joker with like that todd phillips was obviously trying to do a paul schrader taxi driver kind of thing so it's interesting that we're talking about this movie at the moment where a lot of the things that bringing out the dead was trying to sort of resurrect so to speak um right are present now in culture in these two sort of big I would say movies meant for straight men, not to put like too fine a point on it yeah, with yeah. the Irishman and, and Joker, two different types of straight men, I would imagine, but like, whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know how, how well, to sort I of mean, like, Joker sort is through so obviously chasing that particular era of Scorsese movies. There's a few in particular, like King of comedy that it is actively yes. trying to posture itself to be like even though it completely misunderstands those movies anyway um but bringing out the dead is one of the probably rare if only opportunities we would have to talk about scorsese on this podcast i was trying to think of that because like even the ones that like swing and miss and we'll talk a little bit uh in this podcast about how scorsese in the 90s sort of post goodfellas and pre-gangs of new york was in the longest I, w- I mean, to call it a slump is is wrong. But in terms of connecting with Oscar, it's the least his films have connected with Oscar for the longest stretch. Even though they all got nominations, they didn't get... And like, like I would say, with the exception of maybe this movie, it's really surprising in hindsight that each of those movies didn't register for more than what they got. But that's the thing, is they sort of... They were both minor... Minor... Uh, hits with Oscar in very specific ways that were like very much mm-hmm. not of the best picture contender um realm right and then bringing out the dead you're right was the one that like was the rare full shutout because like we can't even do Kundun right because that got a cinematography nomination I have to imagine um I believe a score nomination there we go yeah I'm, I'm gonna look this up yeah it was nominated for four Oscars, actually, so it's like, we really can't do Kundun. Oh, is that true? It was four Oscars. Wow, okay. Score, costume design, art direction, and cinematography. Yeah, there we go. So, yeah, so really, when you're talking about, so Scorsese, let's even go back to, like, um, let's start it at Taxi Driver, let's say, right? Um and then Raging Bull following that up four years ago. Like, New York, New York, did that get any nominations, I wonder? Uh, maybe not but it's tough to be able to do like New York New York has had Oscar buzz right like that's right that feels a little like you know placing too high expectations on a movie that was not made for awards right so Mm -hmm. um, but then like Raging Bull happens and you get into like he makes The Color of Money in 86 Temptation of Christ last Last Temptation of Christ in 88, and then Goodfellas in 1990, which is, like, the closing out the 80s and into the 90s with, like, this apex of Goodfellas. And it becomes the, if if not for Hollywood's infatuation with actor-directors, which was Kevin Costner that year for Dances with Wolves, like, maybe Ugh. Scorsese would have won it. And then, like... Cape Fear, for as divisive as that movie is, still gets De Niro and Best Actor nomination. Age of Innocence, for as divisive as that movie was, and for as much as that was like, that was the big Scorsese backlash movie, right? Where it was just mm-hmm. like, what are, well, 
Like, what are it you had doing a long with this production co- life? Right. Right. Well, yeah, sort of similar, actually, to Kings of New York. Uh, it's interesting to read some of the interviews for Bringing Out the Dead from that time and Scorsese talking about, like, we're finally making Gangs of New York. And, of course, it would be another three years before that movie would hit theaters. But it was, like, the final... He mentioned the one interview that I read with him uh, and Ebert. He mentioned finally getting started on production on Gangs of New York, but also that he was going to make a Dean Martin movie starring Tom Hanks that he was like even more certain that that was going to get going. He's like, we're, we're about to get started. We've got Hanks signed for um, the Dean Martin movie. And that Scorsese never happened. always has some type of biopic yep. in the ether that yep. may or may not get made, which is always which always makes it interesting to go back and uh, and look into that. But Age of Innocence again, the big Scorsese backlash movie. But again, that one I think got nominated for like five Oscars. Winona Ryder got her first Oscar nomination from that. She wins a Golden Globe. Two years later, he tries to capture the sort of like you know mafioso thing again with casino that one kind of flops i like i have a soft spot for casino but like i love casino casino is the one that's really surprising to me that it was only sharon stone right she also wins a golden globe so like even again the like quote unquote like the string of movies that didn't connect with oscar with like with the best picture category right age of innocence casino kundun and then bringing out the dead that like only bringing out the dead is the one that like really zeroes out. And then the next movie is Gangs of New York. And then all of a sudden it becomes the the ascent to Marty on, uh, ultimately winning the Oscar. Gangs of New York, right. The Aviator, The Departed. And then the 2010s, well, we'll, we'll rope Shutter Island into the 2010s. But are the string of movies where like, even when they're like, quote unquote, poorly received like Shutter Island was they get these huge pockets of defenders and like a lot of and even his failures are always interesting and like mm-hmm. Hugo which like I know a lot of people didn't care for Hugo but it's still like a I didn't m- care for Hugo multi Oscar nominee and like all probably came closest more than any th- other movie of defeating even the, the case of like something like Silence which did get an Oscar nomination like is a presumed like that movie arrived really late, but like even at the last minute when people were doing their last minute predictions, they were like, maybe Silence could just show up with five nominations on nomination morning. Silence you know? is a really good movie. Silence would have been Silence the, is amazing. the better Andrew Garfield nomination of that year when he ended up getting nominated for Hacksaw Ridge. But so it's 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 rare that we can talk about a Scorsese movie that had Oscar expectations that didn't get anything. And Bringing Out the Dead is really our only chance. So, uh, Chris, before we start in on our one and only shot at discussing Scorsese, (laughs) why don't you give us a 60-second plot description as a somewhat painful... Oh boy, I am terrible at the 60-second plot description, and this is probably my most difficult challenge yet, because, shockingly, Bringing Out the Dead is maybe Scorsese's most cocaine movie (laughs) out of a filmography of almost exclusively cocaine movies. Ah, that is a way to put it, for sure, but... It's a lot of movie. I trust you to do your best. A lot of movie, but yet not an overly long movie, and we say that... Uh, no. Knowing that his latest movie is three and a half goddamn hours, which I will watch from my couch in front of my Netflix the way God intended. But let's. I will be thrilled <laughs> the entire time. All right. So, 60 seconds, bringing out the dead. Chris File, are you ready? I'm ready ish. Good, 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 go. 
All right, so Bringing Out the Dead stars Nicolas Cage as a paramedic. His name is Frank. He always works the graveyard shift, and he, like, suffers from insomnia, basically, so he's exhausted all the time. So, like, a lot of what he's seeing could be hallucinations. He hears voices at some points in the movie. Anyway, but, like, this is New York City, so it's, like, really grim. Like, there's prostitutes, drug addicts, like, uh, people going fucking crazy. And he's bringing, um, it takes place over three different nights. He has different partners with him each night in the actual um, uh, uh, the vehicle, whatever you want to call it. Um, but like the hospital that he works for is always overrun with people in the emergency room. Um, he brings in a man who has a heart attack. His uh, I forget his first name. His last name is Burke, but he kind of like falls for his daughter who's played Ten by seconds. Patricia Arquette. Um, there's also Mark Antony who is a drug addict who for some reason can't have water. Um, and, uh, and he just basically kind of goes crazy. And it's like walking the underworld. Time's up. All right. Um, There's really no kind of... It's a very episodic movie, so it's like... Very much so. The things that happen aren't necessarily as important as the telling of them. Like, this felt very much like, you know, on the boat to the underworld, or like New York City as a purgatory. And it's like... It's very, like darkly shot but then also like <laughs> these fluorescent lights as well like yeah. it's it's a fascinating movie how they just shot it alone it's a it's a fascinating um, movie i i do want to mention one thing about your uh your 60 second plot description which is that you uh referred to him as mark antony which i find adorable um uh mark anthony i said mark anthony no but you pronounced it as antony in a way that like i loved uh because now I'm imagining him and Jennifer Lopez from their era as husband and wife playing Cleopatra and Mark Antony as some sort of like that giant big budget like movie flop extravaganza. Do you know what I mean? Just like a- I, he should have been the Mark Antony with the dreadlocks that he has in this yes. movie. But so it's interesting. You you're right about this sort of like New York City is purgatory because a lot of this movie takes place in Hell's Kitchen in like literally like the streets that I lived on for several years. And it's so funny because like I lived there for the like 2010 to 2013, right? And by then it was this, it was, I mean, to the degree that New York City was even like this in 1999 is dubious. I'm reading a lot of, again, reading these interviews with Scorsese, and he he's, seems very strenuous to make the argument that New York City really is still like this in 1999. And, and you know, because I think there was a lot of pushback from, you know, people running the city at the time being like, the city's not like this. This is not like 1970s, 80s, like, you I know, mean, it should maybe qualify by saying world. that. New York City at the anymore, and I think Scorsese was like really kind of desperately wanting to be like, no, it's still like this. It's still you know if you you pull back the surface and it's and it's death and drugs and and prostitutes. I'm sure it was still like that at 3 a.m. when this entire movie takes place. I you know not living here at the time, it very well might have been, but it also feels like I think Scorsese is doing a more impressionistic view yes. of the city and that's fine i love that i love that's the thing that i maybe like best about the movie is that it doesn't purport to the movie doesn't seem to be purporting to give you the new york city that exists in the world it's giving you what all this looks like from somebody who a 
is a horrible insomniac and like is like already kind of out of his mind and b is mired in death and disease and 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 disaster all day because of his job like that i totally get yeah it was interesting to me that scorsese in these interviews was trying to sell it as like no this is the real new york and it's just like uh, it doesn't have to be the real new york i think sometimes he tries to like i think the mythology that exists in his head sometimes needs to be the real thing for him in a way that like i don't i don't know if you need to quite make that argument i don't right i don't know yeah, I loved this movie. <laughs> yeah, okay, so talk more about that before, because I don't want to be the, like, I don't want to lead with, you know, my problems with it, but, you know. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, I I think, I think this movie is ripe for a major reassessment, because I think even when people talk about Scorsese, they never talk about this movie. Um, I was really excited to watch it for the first time just to, like, A, fill a gap in the filmography, so it's like, I was part of the problem. But I think the people but... who do talk about it do talk about it in a very indefensive like i don't think you ever see people like crapping on this movie when they talk about it it's just that it's it's been somewhat forgotten well i think at the time it was kind of received with yes, a whiff, at the time yeah. you know in a way that i think a martin scorsese movie would never be greeted today so it's very interesting right well, and I mean, maybe some of that is just representative of the way we were perceiving Scorsese in the 90s was on a downward trajectory. Right. Um, so, like, that kind of tainted the way that people assessed this very strange, very chaotic, um, almost abstract kind of movie. Um, right. Eh, abstract is not a right word, but, like, this is not, like, you kind of can't, this isn't a movie that you can just assess on its face. It's like, impressionistic. things that are happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the scene where he goes to the high rise, where Cliff Curtis and uh, Sonia Sohn from, uh, from by The Wire. A, yeah. And they're sort of, like, they're little, like, technicolor, not technicolor, but, like, neon drug paradise or whatever, where, like, it's... Nothing in this film exists in the... It almost... Remember The Wiz? Remember how The Wiz was like New York City, but like with the sheen of Oz kind of like painted over it? Some parts of Bringing Out the Dead remind me of The Wiz in that way, where it's just sort of just like, you know, it's New York City, but with this otherworldly... It's New York City in Grim Reaper drag. Yeah. It's like... And there's not necessarily a huge forward momentum. Like, this movie isn't really building to anything. Right. It's just kind of, um, like, state-of-the-world type of chaos that I think it is somewhat ambivalent towards. I think that this belongs, like, in discussion right next to Martin Scorsese's more religiously-inclined movies— because um, it feels very much like a spiritual journey. Well, that whole that, middle portion, especially with Ving Rhames. Uh, I mean, the whole final fucking shot of this movie. Well, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love this movie. I think a lot of it is kind of owed to Paul Schrader, which, I mean, you can see how Buzz would have built around this because it was, you know, they were reunited from Taxi Driver. Right. Um, but I thought a lot about First Reformed um, while watching this movie. This is like if First Reformed was on uppers and, <laughs> it, it, like, went to... Uh, First Reformed was on uppers, but because of being on uppers, hasn't been able to sleep for six days. Right, and it's been, like, hanging out in a rainy alley. Yeah. 
with some prostitutes. I think parts of this movie work better for me than others. I like everything about the movie that contributes to this sense of Nicolas Cage's character being sort of on edge and beleaguered from his job, from like the actual minute to minute of his job in general. I like the, 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 all the scenes where he like shows up to the hospital. There's the guy, there's the cop with the sunglasses at the hospital, trying to keep all of the people in the waiting room at bay, which every single time that happened, I like was somewhat delighted with just this teeming crowd of like, that had to be like beaten back with, you know, almost with like the, the lion tamers, like whip and chair kind of a thing. Um, I liked that the whole, everything about that hospital, sort of triage unit was appropriately nightmarish and awful if you've ever been to like and sometimes kind of funny like yeah. Mary Beth Hurt yeah. being the most Mary Beth Hurt just being like I could save your life but like do you really care if I save your life like she's a terrible person that's a thing that she's recurs this- a few times actually in the movie which is just sort of just yeah. like do you want me to save your life am I wasting am I wasting a potential like life-saving effort on somebody who either doesn't want it, won't appreciate it. And the thing, the, the the closest thing to a plot in this movie, besides the fact that, like, Patricia Arquette's father um, is brought back from the brink by, by Frank, by Nicolas Cage, and then throughout the movie has to keep getting revived, and by the end Frank thinks he's hearing um, this guy begging him to let him die, and ultimately yeah. he does. Like, Besides that, though, the most the closest thing to an overarching plot is this sense that Frank is on an epic sort of losing streak at work, which is that which is also a very Scorsese kind of a thing, um, but that he he hasn't saved properly like saved a life in in a while, and his last mm-hmm. X number of of pickups have all died to the point where when he and Ving Rhames deliver those miracle twins from the quote-unquote like virgin that virgin couple who don't believe they're pregnant and the one that ving rames delivers lives and the one that cage delivers dies which is just like it's that degree of sort of snake he's feels sort of snake bit from his job and because of that he's just being sort of beaten down even further um all of that stuff I really, I think, works. I'm not sure how much it works to have Cage at an 11 for pretty much the whole movie. I am always less enchanted with that than most people. Um, I think there's, I think in a similar way... I don't way, know if he's at an 11. He's at an 8 most of the movie. He starts a at Nicholas a right. Cage 11, though, yeah. <laughs> is... Well, I guess what... You know, everybody else is 45. Sure. I guess what I'm saying, though, is that like I don't ever get a sense of what's what's a baseline for this character. We start... We, we already... We, when we meet him, he's already sort of tipped over the edge, basically. I guess I was fine with that because everything that's going on kind of blurs together intentionally too, right? Like, would you know that it's three different nights if you weren't necessarily told? Probably. And not given the structure of the three different partners. Right. Yeah. The three different partners that he, Goodman, um, John Goodman for the first night, Ving Rhames for the second night, and then Tom Sizemore for the third night. Tom Sizemore, of course, being the most murderous of all of them, because that is 
that tracks with both other films and listen we've joked about how widows just showed up at robert duvall's house (laughs) yeah good similar things they straight up just showed up and was like tom sizemore put on this emt (laughs) tom sizemore already trying to kill mark anthony why don't we just film this so yeah 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 um I don't think we've fully set it up for our listeners who maybe haven't seen the film how crazy it is that Mark Anthony is in this movie. I mean, he's in movies. He's sort it's of like he'll wild. show up in movies every once in a while. But yeah, he plays I <laughs> I didn't quite get the medical explanation for why if he drank water he could die. They tried to sort of like paper over that with like medical ease and I was like, whatever, man. But like it's a, a whole thing. I mean he never died. I guess, but like there were like Patricia Arquette, who was like an old friend of his because like he she's from the neighborhood, but also like she's a former drug addict, and she goes to like fetch him a cup of water, and Nicolas Cage is like, I wouldn't do that if I were you, and but doesn't like <laughs> she fully just gets him like one of those mini Dixie cups, yes! like fully Garth Algar, and if you're he gonna like spew, spew into this and he little cups of drinks water. it to the point of like. Crushing the cup into his face, um, yeah, I don't know. Poor, poor Mark. He's just unrecognizable. Yes, it's true. All the while he was in front of us, we never realized. Couldn't believe it. We didn't see it. Oh, but we felt it. Are you singing Mark Anthony lyrics? I am singing. You sing to me. Wouldn't know him. Wouldn't recognize a Mark Anthony song if it was actually in front of me in sheet music. Uh, Joseph, you need to look up his uh, whole discography. Do I? Baby girl, you need to know. <laughs> oh my god, stop it! I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like this at all. I'm being aggressed with Mark Anthony lyrics. I won't have that. Um, yeah, the film, the film is very episodic, and I think certain episodes work better for me than others. I think once the movie tumbles into this, like, real Super Mario Brothers, let's go, like, down to, like, the underground levels and whatever. I am... I lose my patience for it a bit. I'm... I don't know. It gets it gets a little Jacob's Laddery to me, which is, like, I, Jacob's Ladder is a movie I like a lot better than this, but, like, I don't know. Um, I Sometimes I think, again, I go back to, like, Scorsese's depiction of the city which sometimes feels appropriately impressionistic and then sometimes just feels cliched in a way that feels lazy i think trash can fires and like pregnant hookers is such a weird short not a weird shorthand but like a lazy shorthand for you know this city's gone to hell right and it feels or like the the one shot of like as they're going through the streets and Cage is sort of like staring out into again once again I have to stress Hell's Kitchen Midtown Manhattan streets which is like right now is the safest place in all of America to be and it's just this like wasteland of every possible bad thing and junkies on the streets and people sort of milling about and 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 then there's this shot of these like three or four, if not straight out drag queens, then just like guys sort of like tumbling out of a gay bar with like, you know, feather boas and makeup on their faces and whatever. And that, and the interesting thing about that shot is just like they're smiling and having a good time. And that is part and parcel of this montage of like decadence and 
and degeneration that I'm just like, all right, Marty, like I get that, like you're never going to make that leap into being, you know, a modern thinking person. And just like, this is going to be this fossilized version of what gone to seed New York city is. And he romanticizes it, but he romanticizes it in a way that will always leave the same people on the bottom. Does that make sense Mm. to you? Yes, I I guess I just see it a little differently. I think it's all kind of... Some of those things that you think are cliches, I just see kind of as, like, smaller pieces within this, like, large Dante's Inferno that's entirely of this character's perception, which is, I mean, uh, not just he's an unreliable narrator, but, like, how much is real, how much is... um, just like exacerbated by his state of mind his state of exhaustion and his job no i get it that's and like essentially his what for lack of a better word is his religious ennui like his spiritual not bankruptcy but like vacancy i guess like okay not to like be all answer me this about it but like what did you think of this recurring uh motif of him remembering this woman this young girl rosa who was like the teen who died who he couldn't save and has been like haunting or whatever she might not be a teen she might have been in her early 20s but like this young woman much much younger than him who is this kind of ghost figure in his life where he keeps seeing her face and she's she's the one who he couldn't save and to me that came across as really like cliched and silly and I think for the movie to fully work for somebody, that has to work for them. And I am I I wondering whether that is the case with you. I I didn't fully go for it, but I wasn't bothered by sure. it. Um Again, it feels like a smaller piece to a large, I guess, puzzle that has a lot of different thing balls in the air that like it's easy for me because there was so much like going on and it all felt you know, woven into the fabric of what this movie is, it was easy to overlook the small things, I guess. I guess I just didn't see because that. Because they as a didn't small all thing. have like extra weight, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I, I don't think I could see that as a small thing. I feel like that to me, because it keeps recurring and because it does it, happen a lot. It, and it, and it feels so foundational to like why he's going through all of this. And I, I, I mean, I guess I can just say it it, it didn't bother yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, sure. It felt maybe cheaper or, like, of a different movie than what this movie is. But, like, how can you keep up this frenetic craziness a whole movie? Yeah. It's a, it's a well-cast movie, for sure. I think it's, you know, it's typically Scorsese-esque in that, like, it has, like, one and a half female characters. And that's fine, I guess. Like, we've all decided that that's just fine. That, like, Scorsese... Remember, what was it a couple years ago? Was it, um... Was this... Was it Elizabeth Banks who said about Scorsese about how he never, um, makes movies with women in it? Or was it about Spielberg? Remember when Elizabeth Banks got in trouble and everybody was just like, no, you're wrong. It must have been about... I think it might have been. Somebody said that about Spielberg. I, th- I think it I might have been Spielberg. I personally feel like it's more true about Spielberg than it is about Scorsese. Really? I don't... Yeah. I 
I disagree. I think I think anytime I think we saw it this week when when Scorsese said that thing about Marvel movies and the Marvel people backlashed against Scorsese and then all of the film Twitter people like decided that it was their solemn duty to go into battle for Marty Scorsese because the Marvel trolls You always fall on being annoyed with the Scorsese. Support. Because they 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 act like this guy desperately needs their ardent defense. Whenever anybody says even a little bit of a criticism about him, They're like anytime somebody is like Martin Scorsese doesn't really make movies about women, and people are just like Alice doesn't live here anymore was a thing, and it's just like yeah, in 1974 he made one movie about one woman, and that was it. That was all. I I, I don't th- I I think it's I think it's an exaggeration. I mean, like he could make a movie with a female ensemble, but he does foreground women in some of his movies. Not recently. one per one woman for every. F- 15 men is what I will say. You know, like, I don't know. He makes movies with these big sprawling casts and, and casts like Lorraine Bracco and no one else. And he makes movies with these big sprawling casts and he casts, I don't know, I don't know, Juliette Lewis to go get molested by, I mean, I guess Cape, Cape Fear is an, is an exception. Whereas, like, you get Juliette Lewis and Jessica Lange doesn't have a whole lot to do, but whatever. And then Ileana Douglas is so good in that movie. Whatever. I mean, The Aviator isn't my favorite Oh, the Scorsese a- movie by a mile, but like it's at least like I don't know. I think that like mm. some of the he, you're talking about a character that's a, a womanizer and has like different women all the time, but at least those women are there to somewhat serve. I think Cape the Bl- function of saying you are a bad man or you're mm. not a bad man, but I think Blanchett gets a role and everybody else gets like to appear on screen. I mean, Beckinsale. Beckinsale's good what she's given. I don't think she's given very much. I don't know. I mean, this is an argument that, like, again... But again, this is what I mean about, like... The Marvel comments this week, I will at least say, like, I understood people coming to Martin Scorsese's defense because it felt like that was a pull quote that was used in a way that made it sound like he was being more of an asshole than he was. I think it wasn't... He wasn't being. Yeah, but that's not what the defense was. The defense. The the defense was everybody sort of like trying to back up that, like, you know, Marty was right. And it's just like, all right, fucking whatever. Like, Marty's an old man. Of course he's going to have that opinion. But I don't know. There's. It's. It always feels like that there is a. And I'm not roping you into this, obviously, but like there is a straight male critical, like. I don't know, battalion that always seems to hold sway when it comes to anybody trying to criticize these like masters of cinema where it's like Scorsese and Malick and even fucking Eastwood. And I know Eastwood gets like a lot more criticism than most, but like there's, you know, I don't know. It's the Sully was good crap. Oh boy, that trailer for that new. Richard Eastwood Jewell, movie. I, I was like, I am going to log off before I get myself in trouble. Clint Eastwood making another white male victim movie? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah, apparently... The system is destroying the I just, livelihood of these white heroes. I just want him to make the Janet Reno trilogy where he makes Waco and then <laughs> Richard Jewell and then Elian Gonzalez and then he dies. Um... I don't know. I shouldn't say that. Maybe I'll take that part out. I don't want Clint Eastwood to die. He's fine. Um, Please. 
Roach's share in Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That'll be the end of it. That'll be that'll be the end of us all. And good. And then Sharon Sla- Clint Eastwood can share slapping the shit out of. Clint <laughs> and Eastwood. then Sharon Clint Eastwood can be like the two figures on the cover of the Stand novel, where it's just like <laughs> fighting for the soul of humanity. <laughs> and I know what side Cher is fighting on, so it's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I had never seen the Mule, and I never, and I probably never will see the Mule. I also never saw Gran Torino. At some point, I just decided for myself that, oh, like, I we don't... are going to have to do Gran Torino on this oh. episode, and it is just going to be me taking a blowtorch to the earth. Maybe I'll just pretend to have watched it, and we'll see how far I can get into the episode, pretending to have watched it. So, other interesting thing about bringing out the dead is that it comes from this like legendary house of 1999 right we're like we're celebrating Mm -hmm. it this year because it's the 20th anniversary of this year that like was such a landmark one for cinema and for a lot of reasons and i think for a lot of very good reasons this was the year that like the matrix happened and the sixth sense and the blair witch project happened and being john malkovich sort of like kicked off this era of like weirdo spike jones charlie kaufman collaborations and a lot of like a lot of sort of smaller off the beaten path movies did really well or like stuff that like galaxy quest that you would never really think to take a second look at except it's great and the Mm -hmm. south park movie was this year and yada 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 could go on for days um but the interesting thing about 1999 is it's not really reflected or it's reflected kind of strangely in that year's oscars and that's been true like we've people have made that observation for a long time now where american beauty wins best picture that year and like that movie has aged real interestingly um and be but beyond that even at the time the green mile was this very safe choice the cider house rules for as much as i will stick up for that movie is a very safe choice for a best picture nominee um i even think to a certain degree the sixth sense is somewhat well, because safe, it was such a like sentimental choice but like it's still a fucking great movie Sixth sense is a great movie i think the sixth sense in in as much as it's a safe choice is because it had already been so thoroughly vetted by the American public because it made right. so much money. But I think looking at it as the sort of breakthrough of this really interesting filmmaker named M. Night Shyamalan, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I... I, I mean, it was like the, the in a year that it was like there were a bunch of movie stories, it was the most endorsable, like, story. Right for the Academy to go behind. And The Insider is sort of the vegetables of that lineup, right? We're like, but as a vegetable movie, like there have been worse ones. And I say a vegetable, not in that like it was brain dead, but that it was, that it's like. That's a real good veggie burger. It's good for you. Oh, don't say veggie like, burger, but yeah. Um, to me, it's like a. S- tasty. It's meaty. Oh, yeah. But guess what? It's all vegetables. <laughs> That's actually, all right, fine. That's good. My whole thing was just sort of just like, it's the thing on your plate that you, you know, should eat for for your own good and but it's a really good movie uh, probably my favorite michael mann movie absolutely i would in this lineup i would vote for the insider oh i would vote for the sixth sense but the insider would be my second choice for sure um so it's interesting that like bringing out the dead is one of these now one of these myriad movies from 1999 that people are always just like oh it would have been a better you know it would have better been a better lineup with x y and z in it and i think that's definitely it's certainly a more interesting oscar contender than 
I mean, I don't know. I don't want to, like, slight some of these other ones that, like, the end of the affair or whatever. Like, it's not like the end of the affair was, you know, pandering Mm -hmm. to American sentiment or anything. But if you look at some of the other movies on this on this slate, some of the more interesting nominees are the ones that got, like, one or two acting nominations, but not a Best Picture nod, where it's, like, Magnolia, Boys Don't Cry, um, Being John Malkovich, which I mentioned, which was a Best Director nominee for Spike Jones, but not for um, Best Picture. But then you get movies like like The Hurricane, you know, even if even if you liked that movie a decent movie that is a very meatball down the middle you know mm-hmm. norman jewison directed very sort of like social At one point presumed front runner for best picture right. the hurricane very much this you know a social conscience kind of a movie that is you know that was such a big contender throughout that whole movie uh, that year you you mentioned that it was a front runner early on but, like, it's such a contrast to a movie like The Talented Mr. Ripley, which was mm-hmm. also an early season contender because it came from Anthony Minghella, who was coming off of The English Patient. And it's interesting that the, both of those movies sort of underwhelmed in the big categories, I think, for different reasons. I think The Hurricane was felled by more traditional um Oscar campaign shenanigans where people kept bringing up how like it, do we want to honor Reuben Carter there was a little bit of like relitigation yeah. of is Reuben Carter a good man like do we want to have this movie that's sort of um, a little bit of what the people versus Larry Flint went through to not like make it too crass like those are very different people and you know for very different reasons but I think that was another movie where people are just like should we be honoring a movie that so holds up Larry Flint like yada 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 and I think that those kind of tactics were used against the hurricane whereas I think the talented Mr. Ripley people just didn't get it or like both that and the hurricane also arrived really late. That is true. Correct? That's definitely true. But I think if you look at it now, twenty years later, I think one of those movies is clearly one of the best of that year, and one of those movies is like oh, yeah. middle tier at best. Like I think Talented Mr. Ripley. If I'm going to re rank the 1999 movies today, which I should probably just pull up that list and see where I'm at right now. Yeah, let's just pull. Let's that just out. do it. Um, but I think <laughs> are we just gonna do a rank of uh, twenty or ninety nine? I mean, it was bound to happen at some point. So yes, um, but I think Ripley very clearly one of the films of that year for sure. I would say Ripley's probably my number one of that year. Yeah, it's tough to think of one that I would put. Uh, particularly for 1999 like i also i want to give the caveat that i don't remember the last time i like went through and properly revised this list so like yeah. this one that i'm digging up might not be the most uh might not reflect my most current thinking to i may not even have oh one. i definitely <laughs> have trying one. to find it through letterbox mine go back mid 90s at least actually i probably have all of the 90s but like when you get into those early 90s years i did not see enough movies to make a proper list all right chris are you ready to unveil our 1999 top 10 our impromptu 1999 hey, top 10 mine apparently wasn't so impromptu mine was there when i found it so i will say i just came up with mine right now mine are right, i'm gonna start with my number 10 uh which I will fully admit that I am probably being a little bit of a brat here. 
and leaving Magnolia as my number 11 and putting Go as my number 10. But you know what? I just you know what? love I like Go. And I'm sorry. And Magnolia annoys me a little bit sometimes. It's great in parts, but it also annoys me a little bit. And it's also too long. But I'm just going to say it. Like Doug Lyman's Go. It is a great fucking time at the movies. I've seen it a billion times. Every single time it ends when it. fucking Nathan Bexton goes, so what are we doing for New Year's? And then the No Doubt song kicks in. I thrust my hands in the air as another triumphant end for Go because it's so fucking good. I love it so much. Do we do sw- do uh, want to switch off like 10, 10, 9, 9? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. We'll just keep it a little brief. Okay, so my number just 10 is Just keep it a, a little brief. That... I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Well, we'll all, I mean, like, you know, I mean, I can be long-winded about shit. Um, obviously. Um, my number 10 is a movie I loved at the time and, like, was part of the small cult of homosexual teenagers that loved this movie. Ooh. And now I think it's gotten much more reassessment because of the two actresses at the front of it. And like, if I was fully thinking about a list, maybe it would actually be higher. But my number 10 is Dick. Dick's a good choice. Dick is a great oh, movie. Dick. And really funny. Michelle Williams and Kirsten Dunst, their powers combined. That's true. They should combine them again. What they should? We, somebody needs to cast the two of them in a movie, and it sh- doesn't need to have anything to do with Dick whatsoever. But just like I want, I want like Michelle Williams, Kirsten Dunst ride again stories. Like that's what I want to see out of something, and it can be a television miniseries if you want to. But I want a feature fucking film, ideally. With those two. Can we get them like whenever, it, whatever like awards trail that they can ever be on? Please God, together. Yes. Like those variety actors on actors, <gasps> can they be together? Please. Like they may be too similar, like blonde white ladies that it might be annoying. But like, yeah, seriously, real. have them interview. Want that each to other. happen? Excellent choice. My number nine is one that may also be on your list, so I won't talk too much about it. And also like. I don't know how much more you can say about The Matrix. It's The Matrix. It changed everything. Like, it changed so much about, like, what action cinema was at the time. It's, you know... It's, you know, an iconic Keanu Reeves performance to last a lifetime. All that, like, visual sort of, you know, flair. All the ways to film action. Uh, the, The relative quality of the sequels, I don't think, brings down the quality of The Matrix. It is... It's a major one. Hurrah, we will get into The Matrix. Okay. My number nine, however, also kind of changed things in terms of how movies were promoted, particularly like kind of ushered in the online age of promoting movies. I am talking about the very controversial The Blair Witch Project. Some people will tell you that it is utter garbage. Some people will tell you that it's not even scary. Those people I think are wrong. That both of those, those people are fully wrong. Um, that movie is absolutely terrifying. I think it's ingenious. Um, yeah. Like, the scariest fucking final shot in a movie ever. Uh, we we can talk about it now rather than later. It'll show up on my list later. It is so good. I think it is, still to this day, doesn't get the actual respect it deserves because it is such a smartly put-together movie. I think it is so intelligent about the way that things are scary and the way it sort of, like, lulls us into these kind of quotidian arguments between them, these little petty, little, like, spats between them, like, while all all the while, this, like, the woods are sort of, like, cackling and crackling around them. It's so scary. And I think the people who, who don't think that movie is scary are the people sort of going into it 
with their like walls up. Like if you go into a horror movie with enough walls up, it's not going to scare you. There's no horror movie that is good yeah. enough to like actually force you to be scared if you don't want to be scared. And especially if you go in with a show me attitude. Right. And I think the Blair Witch Project, I think, was subject to a lot of that. I also think there was a lot of people who were like genuinely nauseated by the camera work and like that's fine. But like it, otherwise, I think the degree to which people are, people will still say that the Blair Witch Project wasn't scary always seems like posturing to me. I will never not think Yeah. That. Yeah. All right. Um, my number eight, we talked about it when we were discussing the Best Picture race a little bit ago, so we don't really need to talk about it too much more, is Michael Mann's The Insider. I think it is chock full of fantastic performances. It's one of those great, you know, granular... Uh, investigatory movies it's it's so 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 good i really loved it awesome my number eight apologies for recency bias it is bringing out the dead perhaps it might be a little bit lower or a little bit higher once i can actually sit with this movie but i do think that it has a place on a top 10 of this year for me nice my number seven i'm curious to see if it's also on your top 10 list is sofia coppola's the virgin suicides wasn't released until 2000. <gasps> You're right. I went off of uh, a festival list. Okay, well then. That and Beau Travai. Congratulations, Magnolia. You've made it into my top 10 despite my objections. <laughs> All right, then I will I will do, we'll skip along to my number seven, um, just to like keep it on track, I guess, yeah. is Being John Malkovich. A movie that I have like lingering quibbles about that I maybe need to watch the movie again, especially as an adult. I just think the way that that movie felt like revolutionary and strange in a way that was just like very fresh and new that became its own thing with the Charlie Kaufman Spike Jones of it all. Yeah. Um, I think it's a very special movie. I think that's true. Wait, so we're on number six now? Yes. My number six is Alexander Payne's election, which to me, it's the beneficiary of one of the great lead actress performances of 1999 in Reese Witherspoon. But it is also, I think, a lot more than that. I think everything it does with the Matthew Broderick character is so applicable to these days of like toxic masculinity to aggrieved, you know, straight white men. Like there's so much, um, about election that still applies today and it's not just like watch election and you'll see why hillary lost and it's like it's not just that it's 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 more than that it is it's such a wise movie and it's such a um this was based on a tom parada book yes yes i mean it shows like god everything every single time i'll be watching something and be like this is like really on target and really like smart and wise and it's like it's always tom parada he's so good um, it's, I don't know, everything about that movie, I think the comedy is so on point. I think it's just mean enough, it's just nasty enough, but, like, also is not afraid of, like, kind of a, a broad laugh. Also, just when Tammy Metzler just gets up and goes, who cares about who cares this, about stupid, this election? stupid election? It's so good! It's so not what you were expecting, and, ugh. So vote for me, because I don't even want to go to college, and I don't care. And as president, I won't do anything. The only promise I will make is that, if elected, I will immediately dismantle the student government so that none of us will ever have to sit through one of these stupid assemblies again.
It's also a movie, I will just say it's my number six as well. Ah, look it's at also that. a movie that, like, its idiosyncrasies are so smart in making everything else funny. Uh, uh, funnier, like I will not never forget that Tammy Metzler has braces, and yep. like that whole speech is funnier because she has yep, braces. Yep, yep. Um, just like the cuts in it are so brutal and so funny, and like make the movie crasser, make the movie smarter. Yeah. It's it's so good. Like the paper cuts on. Tracy Flick's hands from ripping down the posters while these like this savage music plays. Also, the progression of the fucking bee sting on Matthew Broderick's eye <laughs> through like the middle portion of that movie is so perfect. I mean, talk, like that's the kind of stuff that like Scorsese's doing and bringing out the dead, kind of, which is just sort of like these little indications of like a human personality fraying past the point of recognition. It's yeah. great. It's so great. I love it so much. God, election. Love you. Yeah, my number five, we talked about it's The Blair Witch Project. I think it is absolutely worthy of having made a best picture list in the only the top five era. I genuinely feel like it deserved to have been nominated that year. Um, uh, I think that that is a great assessment. My number five is a movie that we have also talked about. It is a revolution. It is The Matrix. It should have been nominated. Um, I think in... I wonder even... I think today we can assess these type of movies better, and I think The Matrix was instrumental in these type of regards. I mean, the matrix won for Oscars. And I think even if we didn't have a 10 wide field today, we would maybe still nominate the matrix. Like you think of like Mad Max Fury road, Mad Max Fury road would have absolutely still been in, in a five. And I think the matrix would today too. All right. Um, I think that's a great choice. Your number four. My number four is probably going to end up being my most controversial on the list. And it's going to be the one I will have to end up shouting at most people about, but I will still, I will say still today, I think David Fincher's Fight Club is one of the five best movies of 1999, and I think its reputation has plummeted in the last ten years only because I think we are conflating the people who most loudly misunderstand this movie with what this movie is actually trying to do. I think this is a perfect example of a kind of movie that despises the kind of people who not despises, but just, like, does fundamentally does not agree with the people who are lauding the this Fight movie. The Fight Club fans that we hate are the joke of this movie. That's the thing. This is not a movie that lionizes the Fight Club. This is not a movie that even lionizes the let's tear down this whole system and, you know, the sort of, like, the anarchy of it all. This is, that is, in the movie, that is the symptom and not the disease like it is or it's a symptom of the disease rather like that is it's such a much smarter movie than it gets credit for and i think part part of it is because people boil down that movie to its to its twist to the you know to the tyler durden twist right which i think the movie is smarter and better than all of that and i think anybody who dismisses fight club out of hand is for not for no other reason making it a, a mistake because you're missing out on one of the great Helena Bonham Carter performances of all time. She's so goddamn fantastic in this movie. And if nothing else, give this give Fight Club a chance because of it. I think it is really, really brilliant. And the fact that people still have such a crystallized 
uh, idea of this movie, like this many years later, that we're still sort of fighting about it and getting it wrong, I think is a point in the movie's favor. I think it is. It yeah. made itself indelible in in really important ways. I love Fight Club. It's probably my number eleven. That's like the the typical for me in making like a top ten. The movie that is like so overly endorsed. I feel like it doesn't need my help, and I shove it out for other things. But I do love that movie for all the things that you. What's say. your number four? Uh, my number four is Magnolia, a movie that you know doesn't need me endorsing it, but there it is. Um, uh, I, it's weird that Paul Thomas Anderson has kind of not like shaded his own movie, but like uh, essentially intimated that like, he's not that filmmaker anymore and would make that movie very differently. Um, I don't give a shit. I still love that movie. I think uh, you want to talk about a movie with like potent religious uh, overtones. Yeah that really make it something special like bringing out the dead also has uh i think um that's one of the weirdly under discussed things about magnolia um but i love you know what i say to people who don't like magnolia shame on you (laughs) shame on you i have sickness all around me and you fucking ask me my life what's wrong i'm using death in your bed in your house Where's your fucking decency? And then I'm asking fucking questions. What? Wrong! Suck my dick! That's what's wrong in you! You fucking call me lady! Shame on you! Shame on you! Shame on both of you! I, you know, there are a lot of people who love Magnolia and think Julianne Moore is terrible in that movie. I fundamentally disagree. I think she's... That movie is a fucking opera. She has to be that huge. Also, that scene is the one that gets all the the attention. But the one that I like even better is when she says, what is this? She's, uh, it's, um... And one thing at a time. Shut the fuck up. You want me to help you, Linda? Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. You need to sober up. Now, you must really shut the fuck up. Now, please, shut the fuck up. Linda. I have to go. Let me call you a car, Linda. Shut the fuck up! She says, shut the, shut fuck, the fuck up, up. to her That's what therapist. She goes, shut the fuck up, shut lawyer. the fuck up. You really need shut to... Shut the fuck up! You really need to shut the fuck up. I was just like, ah... That's all right. My number three is The Sixth Sense. Again, we talked about it during the Best Picture conversation. It's, I think, the fact that it caught on with uh, audiences and is such a populist choice is so right and perfect because, like, it is such a classic ghost story and that it's able to be such a scary story while never, ever, ever letting go of the fact that it's a really, a real human story of a sensitive little boy who just wants to help people to help his mother and also to like ultimately help these ghosts. And I like Bruce Willis is like fine and whatever. And the mystery with like all him is so secondary to me because this movie is about Haley Joel Osment's character and his mother and their relationship to each other. And that is why for a movie that is so scary, I always first think of it as a tearjerker because of Tony Collette's big scene in the car at the end. Yeah. Which I wish it, for me, it isn't exactly that. It is close to being that. It would probably, I feel snobby not having that movie on my list, but I think it would probably be the type of thing that would register on a list for me if that was was more of the foregrounded yeah. like thrust of that movie. What is your number three? Whereas it's 
My number three is the Insider. Yes. It's my veggie burger. <laughs> um, God, the Insider is so good. It really, it so really, good. truly is. It gives you, it gives you so much. I think again, I've expressed this before, but the fact that Christopher Plummer didn't get an Oscar nomination for playing Mike Wallace is stupid. And he should have. We won also that could year. have saved ourselves a lot of bullshit. We really could if have we had just given Russell Crowe the Oscar for. The oh, I thought you were going to say we could have saved ourselves a lot of bullshit if we had just given Christopher Plummer the Oscar. No, then. you and I disagree on beginners. We oh, but at the very them. least, we could have spared us the Tolstoy nomination. Oh Jesus Christ! Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. My number two. Uh, you mentioned it is uh, being John Malkovich. I think it's. So clever, so bitingly, harshly funny. I think everything I love about being John Malkovich is wrapped up in just the way that Mary Kay plays his character um, is, in that she like she's either feigning being hard of hearing in order to like put you on edge or she is and is an asshole about it anyway and like one of the two of those is true and either way i find it fantastic i think the the twist that movie gives you where you think it's going to be about john cusack and it ends up being about Catherine keener and cameron diaz sort of self-actualizing in mm-hmm. these kind of opposite but meet in the middle ways is Genius. I think it is, for as much as Charlie Kaufman can get into his own head and get into sort of like self-pitying whatever, um, the movie never loses sight of the fact that like John Cusack's character is like, problem- again, problematic masculinity writ large. And uh, it's, it's so can funny. Can I ask so you a creative. question that is not me trying to be a dick? Yes. Do you think Spike Jones gets the toxic masculinity side of it as well as Charlie Kaufman does? Because that's maybe so. one of my holdouts on this movie. I think he does. I think he. I think the way that he films Cusack's character in a way that doesn't sympathize or like aggrandize what he's doing. Like I think it does. That's always just, what? like, my nagging thing that I don't know if I know the answer to, but, like, it gives me pause about that movie sometimes. All Not right. to say, I mean, I love the movie. It's, I don't think it kills the movie. Yeah. But my no, number I two... I think that's worth bringing up. Yes. My number, number two is, again, my list is coming off very snobby, but my, this is one that has grown so much with me. I mean, it's a filmmaker whose movies do have to sit with you for you to like fully realize what they're doing, the effect they have on you while you watch them, how they operate in their own cinematic language. Um, that is Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. It has one of the greatest final lines of a movie ever, um, one of Nicole Kidman's most underrated performances. Uh, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, Eyes Wide Shut is a movie I keep trying with, and I think I, you know, more power to people who really feel like they get that movie and are able to love that movie, and it always keeps me at enough of an arm's length that I can respect it to a point. I don't know. Ultimately, I feel like the movie never allows me to sort of be into it as a story. I think it is much more a series of sort of postures and poses, but like, I don't know. It's, you know, it's very stylish. It's very, you know, well put together. There are visuals in that movie that never, that, you know, are indelible and that are, 
part of, you know, cinematic language forever, and that is great. I think you're right about Kidman. I think it's an interesting movie in terms of grappling with the weirdness that is Tom Cruise, and, like, there's a whole yeah. subgenre of movies that are like that, including, like, half of the Mission Impossible movies now, and Vanilla Sky, and um, that would be an interesting, like, film series to do, is movies that comment on Tom Cruise as a public figure. Yeah. Which are, like, eyes wide shut. And this has to be one of the most negative views of him. Like, or at least one of the least affectionate. Well, right. Because, and yes, and I think the more you sort of read up on that movie and the way that, and the, you know, the filming of that movie and what Kubrick sort of had to say about Kinman and Cruise as, you know, almost subjects that he was filming rather than, like, collaborators. Yeah. It's really interesting. Fascinating. It's good for us to have something to disagree on after a little stretch of, like, we love both, all of these movies the same. But I think that also brings us to the same exact number one. It does. Uh, the Talented Mr. Ripley, as we sort of threatened when I when we entered into the segment. Anyway, I think every year that goes by, I think it's more and more of a masterpiece. I think every single actor in this movie is giving if not their ultimate career best movie, like Kate Blanchett has been better in other things, but like it is still one of her best performances. And I think everybody Gwyneth's else underrated in this. Gwyneth's totally underrated in this. Jude Law is like an archetype unto himself in this movie. Matt Damon's phenomenal. Philip Seymour Hoffman's phenomenal. Um, it's just so good. And also it's so playful with its malevolence. It's so not willing to, um, rule anything out as a as both a motive or as a tactic like i think it goes straight into ripley's uh queerness much more directly than i remember it doing at the Absolutely. first time that i saw it yeah i, I remembered it being much more coy um, yeah and be, i think some of it is because it's a lot of visual cues i mean the way that this movie captures not only just a closeted man or a mostly closeted man but also a psychotic in a way that is so evocative um like there's just shots in this movie that take your breath away and are so revealing about the character and like what Mingela's perspective is on this character um yeah god it's so good it's so good yeah and i mean and then and you know this these top tens are just the tip of the iceberg for 1999, which is like, again, I think 1999 is great, not just because of the best of the year, but like the fact that like films 11 through 50 are so interesting, like down to, it's such a deep bench this year where it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, everything from Jawbreaker to Existence to even like Kevin Smith's Dogma is a lot more interesting than like you even think it's going to There's be some on weird shit in it. that movie. Um, Three Kings was this year. Girl Interrupted was this year. Ravenous I would even was say like year. mainstream movies that are really good, like Notting Hill. It's yeah, like you can never really kind of tire of talking about this movie year, which is kind of why to bring it back to bringing out the dead. I'm excited. We've done two other 1999 episodes, but I'm really excited that we did this movie because like this is such a deep bench year that even a movie that wasn't well liked that was made by Scorsese (laughs) gets lost in the shuffle of how we still even talk about this year yeah do we want to talk about even if just briefly the Nicolas Cage of it all because this movie came four years after his Academy Award 
for um, leaving Las Vegas. So not too long after, and yet sometimes when you get an actor who wins um, an Oscar sort of like as a as a barnstormer like Cage was with Leaving Las Vegas, where he basically won everything that year. Every Critics Prize, every precursor, there yeah. was never a doubt that Nicolas Cage was winning Best Actor that year. And sometimes, and he had never been nominated before that, even though he had been in Oscar movies, sort of. Like, he could have conceivably gotten an Oscar nomination for Moonstruck, let's say, way back when. Mm -hmm. But, like, Leaving Las Vegas felt like a leap from a lot of really commercial stuff he had been doing in the early 90s. And so sometimes when that happens you get that little, like, Halo nomination that comes right after it to, like, for... So almost as a reminder from the Academy that, like, listen, this was not a fluke. This is an actor who has really got it. I always think of the North Country nomination for Charlize Theron in this way. Yeah. Where... Where it can this, be... Like, very soon after reminder that, like, no, this this wasn't just a flash in the pan. This is for real. I mean, I, and, I wonder if that adaptation nomination would have happened as easily as it did if there wasn't a perception thing at play there. Um, yes, except that I feel like the adaptation nomination almost felt like a small-scale comeback nod, where... In a way, yes, because, like, post his nomination, he had these big hit movies, and then they turned into some hit movies, and then bombs, but, like, they were all bad, right? Like, Well, and it was not just, like, bombs, and it was not just that it was bad, but it was... Nicolas Cage had started to become the early stages of the Nicolas Cage that we know now, mm-hmm. which is over-the-top, super hammy... Um, indulges in all uh, his sort of most, his maybe worst instincts. Where, So if you look at from uh, Leaving Las Vegas in 95, he makes all these like Jerry Bruckheimer movies, some of them with um, uh, Michael Bay, but like The Rock, Con Air, Face Off, which is a movie that Face-off gets a lot ass. of... Right. Kicks ass and gets a lot of respect today, but like at the time it was a little misunderstood and a lot of it was why is Nicolas Cage doing being that? This way? Like why is he <laughs> doing that? And I think you look at a movie like 1998's Snake Eyes, which he makes with De Palma, which was I think Scorsese mentioned that was a big part of the reason why he hired Cage for Bringing Out the Dead was that De Palma so highly recommended him. But like Snake Eyes is to me not a great movie and it's and it's Cage being like 11 and a half Cage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like sometimes you just don't want that. And then like 99 Bringing Out the Dead, he's very over the top in the Scorsese movie. 8mm is a movie that like he I don't even remember whether he's high key or low key, but that he's movie high is key in so that movie. under is so off-putting that like Nobody wanted to go near it. Yeah. Gone in 60 Seconds is, is 2000. I never Garbage. saw The Family Man. Captain Corelli's Mandolin is a bomb. Can't wait um, to talk about it. And then, so yeah, so by the time Adaptation comes along, there had been so many of these movies that either the movie fails or he... His reputation is, was sullied at that point. Right. Like, and so I think Adaptation... Like he will never get back to the type of thing that won him an Oscar. Yeah. And so that's why... I've, and And even that nomination... I remember being like, oh, I hope it happens. But, like, I was ready for something else to come and snag it. And that was the year that Richard Gere Gere had won the Globe for Chicago. So it was like a six-man race for five 
Best Actor nominate mm-hmm. nomination slots. And people are like, is it going to be Michael Caine that misses out for The Quiet American? Is it going to be Nicolas Cage? There was the popular conception that those two were going for that last slot because Richard Gere being in the Best Picture frontrunner and then winning the Golden Globe, everybody figured he was in. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Kane and Cage get in, and then Gear is left out. But I was really, really glad that Cage got that nomination, because I think he's so good in adaptation, and he's so good at reining himself in to the benefit of that story. It's also a very, very... What's good about that performance is very different about the per- what's good of the performance that he won an Oscar for, too. Like, those are two very, very... Yeah. Um, like oh, different like sides adap- of a single performer. Um, right. Adaptation isn't like unplugging the Nicolas Cage machine and watching it power down. Like it's a, there's a lot of energy to that, especially, you know, playing his own twin. Donald mm-hmm. Kaufman is such a like goofy character. And that's a that's something that you could very easily have seen somebody look at that role, those two roles, and see a blank check for weirdness. And Absolutely. If anything, I mean, Leaving Las Vegas is the more Nicolas Cage performance than Adaptation is. Right, right, yeah. Anyway, um, so it's interesting, though not entirely surprising, that Cage didn't get any kind of traction for this performance, even though I do think, much as I don't, again, I always feel like I'm separate from the people who love watching Nicolas Cage do his thing. It's always less fun for me than it seems to be for other people. And that's fine. I just recently saw a horror movie called Mom and Dad from a few I've years ago. I've seen that. Where he it's him is and garbage, Selma Blair. But Selma Blair is incredible in that movie. I love Selma Blair. I don't like that movie. I, gen- I think it's, the movie is pretty, disaster. pretty crummy and kind of like chintzy. But, like, I think she's wonderful. She really sells the concept of it. But it's another movie that, like, nowadays, all these Nicolas Cage movies are the same, which is just, like, here you go, Nick. Like, go fucking off. And there's a scene where he, like, busts up a pool table while, um, shit. He's singing. It's it's not the Hokey Pokey, is it? I can't remember. It's something like that. It's one of those things, right, where it's just, like, and it's, like... It's so over the top, and I get why some people like delight in that kind of thing. And I'm sure that like, whatever, like there's something it's because gay. those people are there's just something like gay that I for love. His that... Eyes to fully bug outside of his skull, like right. I don't know. I it, the way that people love Nicolas Cage in that way reads to me as mean spirited. Um, so I don't love it either. <laughs> just like watching somebody like fully break down. I mean, I think so. Um, okay, so can we talk about a great Nicolas Cage performance re- recently? Yes. One of the many Spiders Man in Spider Verse. Oh, yeah. He's so true. funny. And like, that's like the type of playing off of the Nicolas Cage persona that like was charming to me. He's playing off of, he knows how recognizable I think his voice is and how how funny it's going to be to hear that sort of like that husky noir coming in the Nicolas Cage voice. I don't know. He's, I think it's a very smart performance. It's it's very good. What do we think of Patty Arquette in this movie? Awards magnet Patty Arquette, who now can't seem to lose anytime she's nominated for something. I mean, we love Patty, but I... Didn't understand Steel and Patricia Clarkson's Emmy is Patricia Arquette. Um, I mean, people forgot about that show. Um, but uh, I, I just, I didn't understand that character. I didn't understand. This is pre-medium Patty Arquette. We should also mention. Oh, this um, is pre. And didn't and they met on this movie, her and Cage, and got married. 
after? God, I always forget they got married. Yeah. Um, She's one of the many Oscar-winning offshoots of the Coppola family because of her marriage into, yeah. into that that brood. Well, but this this at least came in a year that was like one of the many Patty Arquette resurgences because if you will remember... Oh, they had been married for a while. They married in 1995, so they were oh. already married uh, making this movie. They were probably closer. They were closer to getting divorced than they were to have first gotten gotten married in this movie. They divorced in 2001. Um. Yes, but anyway, another sorry. 1999 movie that we have forgotten, mostly because it's garbage. Also stars Patty Arquette. Do you remember Stigmata? Of course, I remember Stigmata. I remember. Absolutely. Okay, Stigmata is like a quintessential horror movie that it's like you have a great trailer with like a few key images that are like really evocative and terrifying, and then your movie is terrible. Yeah. Like, I yeah. will never forget my reacting to the first time I saw the Stigmata trailer. <laughs> Petty Arquette, not maybe great whole... for horror movies. What else? Not when putting... she's like the demon. What else are we. Uh, um... I don't know. It's just like her overdub and like deliveries. It's not. No, but Patty's what other movies power. are we chalking up as Petty Arquette horror? Um. Uh. I mean... Oh, I thought you... It sounded like you had something else uh, in mind. No, I'm just saying that she's bad in this movie. <laughs> no, I think that's probably true. Um, I think... I mean, I guess maybe we count, we count Little Nicky as, like, uh, comedy horror. I don't know. It has to do with the devil. This was not the best era for her career. That This era of her career is why I think people sort of cocked an incredulous eyebrow in 2014 when she was sweeping all those awards for boyhood Uh very much well deserved i thought but i think people thought it was like huh patricia arquette oscar winner sort of like sounded a little strange on its face because her career was mired in these kind of you know which is super fascinating because this is the time she would have started filming boyhood she is one of those actors whose first movie was um a horror franchise her first film credit at least according to Wikipedia, oh, is yeah. A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Which is a good Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I've never seen that one. I've it's only seen a It's actually a pretty few. cool movie. You should watch that one. All right. But this this era, 1999, she's in Stigmata. She's in Bringing Out the Dead. As I mentioned, Little Nikki was the day. year after this. Um, she was in Lost Highway, the David Lynch movie Lost Highway, the, like, the one that nobody defends. Like, for much as, like, everybody will defend any kind of David Lynch, I never hear anybody talk about Lost Highway. Oh, I see defenses of that. Interesting. I loved her in Flirting with Disaster, actually. The, uh, yes. The David O. Russell film, Flirting with Disaster, which is, like, so underrated and, like, what a Josh cast. Brolin licks her armpit. Josh Brolin sure does lick her armpit, and she takes it in the most sort of, like, not, like, casually, like depressed kind of a way she's just sort of just like licking my armpit um i also wait is she the one i love in edwood or is it sarah jessica parker i can never remember they're both really good everybody's okay. good in edwood i gotta we rewatch that movie sarah jessica um, parker has the larger role right but it might be our cat that i love better also have you seen beyond rangoon or is that just a movie i will that is just a movie i will only joke? ever know for the vhs cover oh she's the, a brunette uh, in that correct I'm pretty sure, but like that's another movie where it's like her and Francis McDormand and 
Wait, is that the movie where it's like this like quartet of actors, or am I thinking of something else that Frances McDormand was in around that time? No, Frances McDormand is in it. I am looking at No, she's now. definitely in it, but I'm thinking of... No, the one I'm thinking of is a movie called Paradise Road, which was a Bruce Beresford movie from 1997 about um, women in uh, in prison in in Sumatra in World War II, and that is Glenn Close, Frances McDormand, Pauline Collins, Juliana Margulies, Kate Blanchett, and Jennifer Ely. Jesus. I know, and nobody talks about that movie. We should maybe delve into that one and see if that one had any uh, any kind of awards buzz. I'm going to say probably not. It's Bruce Beresford, though. Like, uh-huh. that's... It's tough to, you know, direct a Best Picture winner, even if you were not nominated for Best Director that year. Um, he's obviously he's the director of Driving Miss Daisy, Driving Miss Daisy, and Crimes of the Heart and Tender Mercies. I bet you a year ahead, somebody's like mm, maybe Bruce Beresford still got it. He didn't, but that's fine. Anyway, Patty Arquette. We really Remember got twirl far for afield. Peggy. We should say twirl for Patty. <laughs> Better twirl. What twirl was twirl for Peggy? Oh, that was that was Monique Hart, right? Yes, it was. <laughs> you better twirl for Peggy. Well, I still have I still have that on a like sound file on my phone somewhere that I can just like leave that as a voicemail message for you. Better twirl for Peggy. Now I'm gonna have to go find that clip. Congratulations. <laughs> so oh, okay, bringing out the dead never had any ultimate awards play except for the satellite awards, which we sometimes talk about. They are very dubious um, in terms of their very. legitimacy. But they nominated Ving Rhames for supporting actor in a comedy or musical. I think, okay, so I'm one of those like crazy people that I'm like, this is a comedy. Like, <laughs> I call Midsummer a comedy. I you think... also will do that with This is a Christmas Movie. You just did that the other day with something. It was a Christmas you will just movie. declare something a Christmas movie. The fighting with my family is a Christmas movie. That's not that's my right. thing. That's definitely an internet thing. But but um, you did it. Don't don't disclaim that. But like you... I can argue that Midsummer is a comedy. I can argue that Mother is a comedy. I want to know the fucking deranged people <laughs> saying that bringing out the dead is a com- <sighs> like I get it as like maybe like a Dante type a heightened of, yeah whatever but like it's not fucked a up. comedy um yeah. but also that's the wildest call to me especially of this ensemble who was he nominated up against now I all right I'm gonna pull up these satellite awards I will be one of the like four people that have opened this link <laughs> I love shitting on the satellites I know it is sort of your thing I love it um. All right. It's buried in here because they have 2,400 categories. Um, Yeah, that's the satellite sort of thing. Because they want to get as many people as they possibly can. I really feel like they got, like, aced out by the Critics' Choice becoming, like, that. now that's the Critics' Choice's thing. Yes. Uh, Ugh, God, Critics' Choice are so bad nowadays. Um, Of course they are. Nowadays, the thing They've about the Critics' been. Choice is like, why they really what they were doing was that was for ratings because like famous people always came to the Critics' Choice Awards. Um, anyway, anyway. <laughs> the Satellites Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy or Musical. The winner was William H Macy for Happy Texas. Boy, 
Glad that Sundance purchase finally paid off with something, and that was a Golden Satellite Award. Uh, award for Bill Macy, um, yeah. currently on Raya. Um, as I mentioned, <laughs> Ving Rhames, um, Bill Murray for Cradle Woolrock, Reese Fonz, who we never know how to say his name, for Notting Hill. For Notting Hill. Alan Rickman for Dogma, I would endorse that. And then, great hey, you that. know what, maybe I shouldn't shit on them so much, because they nominated Dan Hedaya for Dick. Oh, that's nice. Look at the interesting thing about all those nominees besides Ving Rhames, all in actual comedies. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Good job. Cradle Will Rock is a little bit of actually, I would say maybe that's a borderline. I don't go to Cradle Will Rock for my yucks, but that's fine. Right, 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 right. But, okay, do we think, because we obviously mentioned this was a different perception of Scorsese at the time than we have now. Say you release this movie now with Scorsese's name on it, do you think it would be nominated for anything? Oh, yes. Actually, I think Robert I Richardson would be nominated for I think the way, for cinematography. He was nominated for Snow Falling on Cedars in 99, so it's like you can see why. Oh, Snow Falling on Cedars. A movie wow. we can't talk about on this podcast. I know. Wait, so I, I, now I want to go into the cinematography nominations real quick. He ends up losing to Conrad Hall for American Beauty. That was the first of two Oscars that Conrad Hall would win for Sam Mendes movies in the early 90s before he died. Um, Emmanuel Lebeski was nominated for Sleepy Hollow. That's a great one. Yeah. Dante Spinati for The Insider, also a great one. And Roger Pratt for The End of the Affair, a movie I still haven't seen, somewhat strangely, considering I love I love Julianne Moore and I love especially that era of Neil Jordan. I think so. it's endorsable. I mean, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, anything else about bringing out the dead before we go into the IMDb game? Mm, I don't know. Uh, Mark Antony, he sings to me. <laughs> My God. <laughs> uh, Cliff Curtis sings to me in this movie. Okay, that scene where he's dangling, he's impaled on the rebar on the top of the the high-rise building. Just like fully not screaming in pain, having a nope. full-blown conversation. Conversation That's with when it, like, Cage. You can't trust that this movie is real. Like, it's not a reality Right, but even still, so they're cutting him loose from the rebar, and like, or they're cutting the bars loose, and Cage is sort of holding him up. And all I'm thinking in that scene is the second he's cut loose, he's gonna like drag his like weight is gonna drag Nicolas Cage over the edge of this building. And of course, it happens, and it's just like so freaking scary. But like, come on, guys, just like somebody have a hand on Nicolas Cage's like back or something. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Do your job. Do your job. Okay. Um, IMDb game. Chris, why don't you tell the good people of fake New York City that only <laughs> exists in Martin Scorsese's mind how we play the IMDb game? All right. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints to go with a free-for-all of crime on these streets. <laughs> exactly. All right, Chris, would you like... I'm going to make you guess first. I'm not even going right. to give you the option. I I'm going to, the option that I'm going to give you is... 
I have one really hard one, but it's interesting. And if you and if you do well at it, um, you will get my great respect. Or one that's maybe more fun but easier. I want your respect more than anything. Okay. All right. So. One of the Scorsese alums that I was choosing from is actually really good in a fall movie this year, although it's not a Scorsese movie. It Ooh. is, um, he's really good in Marriage Story and <sighs> not even getting a whole lot of attention for it because there's umpteen fantastic performances in Marriage Story to talk about. But Ray Liotta is also great in Marriage Story. And I'm going to ask you to guess the known for for Ray Liotta, one of which is voice work, but not for television. So it's like an animated movie. Mm-hmm. Well, Ray Liotta has to have Goodfellas in there. Uh, yes, Goodfellas. Okay. It is. It is not. Sorry, maybe. Uh, and the voice work is not for television or a movie. Hmm. It is it like narrating a documentary jesus what would the documentary be that ray liotta narrates it's not I would, like the I would history rev- of cocaine i would um, advise you trying to like get the others first and then focus on this last one oh, fine okay um well i have one i have no wrong guesses yet ray liotta's crazy yeah there's no television right because i feel like i could just no. say law and order no. What the fuck? And yeah, I would no. get it. Okay. Jeez. You've you've reached the we... end of the easy ones, I will say. It's too it's too pretty difficult to guess movies and then this this voiceover. This voice not voiceover, voice acting. Mm. See, this is what I get for wanting your respect. Um That's true. This is what anybody gets for wanting my respect. Hoops upon hoops upon hoops to jump through. <laughs> Ray Liotta's IMDb page. Um, I don't know. Hannibal? We talked about Hannibal. Yeah, it's a good guess, but no. Um. Okay. Um. Are they like shitty 90s movies? Because I feel like I remember a movie where he was like the villain on a plane crash. Was it like Lauren Holly or something? I know what movie you're talking about. I want to say that movie was called Turbulence. That sounds right. It's not the right answer for the IMDb game, but now I want to look up and see what this is called. Can um, I at least get the hint? Are any of these shitty '90s movies? No, they're uh, wow. they're they're not. Um, it was Lauren Holly though. G- g- uh, good job there. Turbulence. The the poster of which just has a plane crashing through like the tight space between two sky uh, two high rise buildings which can't Ooh. do that poster anymore um and it just says can you survive the ride <laughs> this wasn't like a universal studios nope. ride hosted after by a shootout Radio. on a flight transporting prisoners oh i didn't know that uh, after a shootout on a flight transporting prisoners, a flight attendant, Lauren Holly, must outwit a smooth-talking serial killer, Ray Liotta, and land the plane herself. Maybe the last ever the stewardess has to land the plane movie, right? Of all time. Oh my god. Right? I can't think of anything else that happened after 97, and then after 9-11, you can't really make that movie anymore. Yeah. Oy. Congratulations, Lauren Holly. You ended an era. 
of plane crash movies. Of plane crash movies. Uh, oh, wait. Okay. This may... Uh, I feel like this is too easy, but it's like it's a big cast, so maybe you forget that he's in it. Um, identity. He's in Identity. He is. It should be one of his four. It is not. Okay, so you are missing... The two movies Jeez. are 2002 and 2005. And then the voice performance is also 2002. All right. I don't think the years are going to help me, but voice. Perf- Let's try to nail down whatever the hell okay. this voice performance what, is. If it's what? not a movie, it's, it's not, not a television movie. show. It's not, it's not a, a documentary. Show. Nope. It, what? Wait a minute. Do- wait, no, because we've had this on somebody before. Is it a video game? It is. Oh my god! Even if you don't Burn know video IMDb games, down for this. Even if you don't know video games, this is a title. Like I don't know video games, and this is a one of the few video game titles I would remember. I mean, people don't talk in Pac-Man or Donkey Kong. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Legend of Zelda, voiced by Ray Liotta. <laughs> Donkey no, Kong Country, narrated by Ray Liotta. 2002, so like still kind of Yeah, I would have been in high school. So it was a famous game when I was in high school. Yes. What would Ray Liotta be? It's a very cinematic... It's not a fantasy game. A very cinematic video game series. This was like... This was the installment of the series where it really sort of like jumped the curb into general pop culture. Jumped the curb is a... uh, Probably a little bit of a hint. Is it Grand Theft Auto? Yeah, but which one? What was the one... Right. It's the one whose subtitle... This is the one where you could start, like, doing, like, really violent things. I'm pretty sure it's just killing prostitutes the entire time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's fine. You You got Grand Theft Auto. I'm giving it to you. It's Vice City. Oh, of course. Yes, this is the one where you can just like walk around killing prostitutes. Yeah, we wonderful things for the culture. Congratulations, congratulations. The culture thanks you. However, putting Ray Liotta in that video game is heterosexual drag. You can't tell me (laughs) that heterosexual drag doesn't exist when Ray Liotta is Uh a voice in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Can I can I list? No, wait. Before you move on. I'm going to list all the voices in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. It is, you talk about heterosexual drag. Ray Liotta, William Fickner, Tom Sizemore, Dennis Hopper, Burt Reynolds, Luis Guzman, Philip Michael Thomas, shout out Miami Vice, Robert Davi, Danny Trejo, Gary Busey, Lee Majors, and then, just to throw it in there, Feruza Balk and Debbie Harry. Sure, why not? But, like, you talk about heterosexual drag. That is, heterosexual drag race starts your engines. (laughs) Start, yeah, like, quite literally, start your speedboats. Who hosts Um, heterosexual drag race? I really think it should be Ray Liotta. (laughs) Heterosexual drag race, hosted by Paul Schrader. Um, (laughs) Heterosexual drag race, start your engines. Okay. That's going to be in my head all day. Not not uh, <laughs> not getting rid of that anytime soon. All right, your other you're all right. So your two all movies. Right, give me my other two. One of which is directed by a director who has just had a trailer for his next movie released like this week, and it looks like it's Eastwood. the same movie. Not Eastwood. Not, not Sam Eastwood. Mendes. 
It looks like this movie that you're going to try and guess is this, I'm pretty sure is indistinguishable from the one that trailer was just released, except for like cast members. But it's a guy who keeps making the same movie, except when he makes like really weird uh, franchise tentpoles. Huh. I don't remember any other trailers this week. It is a trailer from a director who used to be married to a very, very, very famous lady. Um, famous lady. And whose best movie um, we praise every now and again um, because it was an adaptation of a TV series that seemed like it was going to be really terrible, and yet by sheer force of the charmingness of its uh, lead trio, we love it. Uh... Uh, is it Guy Ritchie? Are it's you Guy talking Ritchie. about Man from Uncle? We are the the movie we love. Yes, is Man from Uncle, but that's okay. not the Ray Liotta one. Yeah, did you see the? Is Ray, it Rock the, and Rolla? No, it should be Rock. How and many Rolla. times have you tricked me into guessing Rock and Rolla on this <laughs> game? Okay. Rock and Rolla is the one with Tom Hardy and Gerard Butler. This is the one that I think came either right before or right after Rock and Rolla, that starred. Jason Statham and Andre Benjamin's in this movie. Mark Strong, of course. I oh my god. You might not remember the title of it. This is why Reliot is really hard. I don't even remember this at all. It was called Revolver. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Guy Ritchie. And you still got one more to guess. I know, I know. The I one you haven't more. guessed, he got some awards attention for. I want to say he got. Oh. Um, uh, did he get. Well, no, I mean, he hasn't been nominated. Spirit has, Award. He got a Spirit Award nomination for this. It has to be. Narc. It is Narc. Narc. Spirit Award nominee for Best Director, Best Supporting Male, and Best Cinematography narc so yeah ray liotta's imdb game is fully insane like he's i'm going to impose a rule that there are no more guy Ritchie movies on this game (laughs) guy Ritchie movies are impossible to guess because they all seem like the same and it's the same seven types of people who are in all of them all right well i hope that mine is sufficiently evil for you um okay and difficult um i mentioned earlier um this was the re- one of the many reemergences of patty arquette in 1999 the other film being stigmata oh no the other headliner of the film that exists in the universe stigmata is gabriel byrne <sighs> Have we not done Gabriel Byrne? We okay. have definitely not done Gabriel Byrne. If we have done Gabriel Byrne, his IMDb known for has completely changed. Okay. Um, the Usual Suspects. The Usual Suspects. Another movie that, much like Fight Club, has become a lot more uh, degraded in public opinion than I think it deserves to be. Another twist movie. I think sometimes these twist movies... Uh, later down the line engender this like resentment of just like well you're stupid I don't care if you have a twist one thing we should be able to say eh, about the usual suspects is that Benicio Del Toro is great because that movie is so like fully grim and serious but he does not care he doesn't care and then he dies but whatever and then he dies 
Chaz Palminteri is also really good too. Boardwalk. Chaz Palminteri is fantastic. That like, and honestly, we can't talk about it, but like, Kevin Spacey is really good in that movie. Um. Anyway, remember when he acted like not was able to be cast in things, but like yeah. when he tried. Gabriel Byrne is also really good in that movie when he goes, "I can't feel my legs, Kaiser." <laughs> um. All right, Little Women. No. Fuck. Any of this is television? No television. Hmm. Sorry, in treatment. Um, I think HBO is saying the same thing to that show. <laughs> that is a thing that exists Gabriel in the culture. Burn. Uh, it's not... Uh, do I guess the thing that's in my head just to get it out of my head? This is always my internal dilemma of like... Cool World is going to be in my head until I, like, excise it. Oh, God, Cool World. The movie that I convinced my parents to take the entire family to see when I was maybe six years old. Wow, A movie that is about how you have to fuck a cartoon character into human existence. Yep. Yeah. Well done. (laughs) Another Well done, family. Thank you, thank you, culture, for putting that one into the universe. Um, What's the one where he plays the devil? Is it End of Days? End of days. He is billed as the man. Is that one of his four? Who is Satan? Man. Uh, yes, it's one of his four. No shit. Okay. All right. Usual suspects. End of days. You only have one wrong answer. Is Hereditary one of them? Hereditary is not one of Ugh. them. He right. is like one of the more thankless things of Hereditary, He's though I kind of it, like that that character is a complete non-start just for like the rest of the movie. But yes. I think he's so good in it. All right. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So All right. So you have your two wrong guesses. Your years are 1990 and 1999. Oh, boy. All right. Wait, is one of them Stigmata? Stigmata for 1999. Asshole. Asshole. I love that Gabriel Byrne has both End of Days and Stigmata on yeah, his truly. Board, and they're also both 1999. Is he the devil in this as well? In no, he's a priest in it, I he's believe. A, of course, he's a priest. He saves he, Patty. He looks like the exorcist He twirls for priest. Patty. Doesn't he? Yeah, kind of. All right, 1990 Gabriel Byrne. Huh. I'm trying to think of the first thing I ever saw him in. And it might have been Cool World. <laughs> wow. Um, I think that was probably the first thing I saw him in, too. I don't know. I'm this is a, um, a legendary, beloved director duo. Director Technically duo. speaking, it is only one of them credited on this, but we know better. Oh, Miller's Crossing. It's Dwight. Miller's Crossing. Of course, Miller's the Crossing. Yes. I should have got that on my own. Um, well done. Well picked. Less evil than mine. Quite would evil. Taken, would have taken way. a lot to be more evil than mine, though. So, well done. Chris, that is our episode. If you want more This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? Uh, come find me on Twitter at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Also Letterboxd under the same name. And I write regularly for the film experience. Yay. Yes, you do. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, spelled the same way. Also, if you've noticed, I actually have been updating my Letterboxd lately. And one of the things I've been doing is I'm trying to watch the 
31 horror movies in 31 days for October. I'm only through like four days, so we'll see as of as of this recording <laughs> at least. We'll see how much I've been able to keep up with it, but fingers crossed, um, I want to watch a horror movie every day, or at least average it out to be a horror movie every day. And I want at least half of them to be films I haven't seen before. So that's why I watched Mom and Dad. I watched um, I watched The Dark Half, which is a Stephen King adaptation that I actually thought... With Gabriel is, Byrne, right? No, no. I thought it was Gabriel Brosnan, Byrne as Brosnan. well. It's, um, it's Timothy Hutton. Oh, fuck me. It's not even... It's, whatever. No, but I, I fully thought it was Gabriel Byrne, too. That's so funny that you also did. We're living in a Berenstain Bears universe now that... Um, we think it should have been Gabriel Byrne, but it is not. Anyway, so yeah, so actually check me out on Letterboxd. I'm doing uh, some stuff there, finally. And also, speaking of Twitter, I wanted to shout out one of yes. our listeners, uh, Athena Courier, who is on Twitter, at Action Athena, has been doing, for the month of October, uh, Ink for Inktober, which is like a hashtag thing, um, has been drawing these This Had Oscar Buzz-related little uh little little ink drawings. sketches they're amazing sketches, thank you <laughs> they are so 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 good she's done our logo our our wonderful this had oscar buzz logo our um our salma hayek saying and from canada water which is so funny and like so good these are all just like really fantastic she's done it her latest that i saw she did a drawing of eileen atkins which i fully screamed over well, because it has that, like, incredulous, semi-sneer expression on her face when talking about Richard winning the Carruthers. It's fully the outfit she wears in the hours. It's so good. So, um... Listen, guys, we're geeking out. It's our first fan art, and Athena, we appreciate you so much. Thank we you. We appreciate... Yes, she did one for the uh, AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. It's... She's... I think... I, Athena seems to get us, which like we truly appreciate. But also follow her on Twitter just to see these these sketches because they are really really good. Like I'm really very impressed by them. And um, I don't know if there's any way you can buy her art. Do it because uh, absolutely. Yeah, shout out Athena. Otherwise. That is the end of our episode. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with visibility on Apple Podcasts. So quit giving Mark Anthony cups of water that are apparently bad for him and write us up something nice, won't you? That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. All the while you were in front of me, I never realized. Didn't see it. Shut up. Can't believe it. No! No, but I feel it. My god, I hate this so When much. you sing to me. Now you're... I'm, now I'm gonna have to look up that song and clip it for the end. And I fully resent it. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, listen to that part.